Hello and welcome to the stack. Today we unpack the annual Distropress gathering in Seville, plus an exciting news publication from Manchester, and Bibliothèque from Paripé Books, an independent title based in Madrid and Buenos Aires. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And now we first turn our attention to the Manchester Mail, a news publication that has built a loyal following for its in-depth investigations and alternative stories about the city. With sister titles now in Liverpool and Sheffield, its subscription-based model is being tipped to transform the regional media landscape in the UK. Monaco's Charlie Fumercourt went to meet the team behind the Manchester Mill to find out more. It's no secret that the number of quality regional news outlets across the UK is dwindling. From 2005 to 2018, there was a net loss of 245 local news titles across the country. This rather bleak outlook has led many to question whether there is still a market for quality local journalism in the digital age. However, over the last few years, a publication in Manchester has been bucking the trend. Founded in 2020, the Manchester Mill is a reader-funded outlet, built around the coverage of local stories with depth and nuance. It's a model that's proved extremely successful, having already expanded to Liverpool and Sheffield the company was recently valued at £1.75 million and has just raised £350,000 for further expansion. To find out more about the publication's success and what it means for local journalism, I spoke to the Manchester Mills founder, Yoshi Herman. So I came up with the idea during the first lockdown in the pandemic and I was living with my mum at the time and I was doing a bit of freelance journalism but I didn't have much on and I think the inspiration came from seeing other people on Substack who had made paid newsletters. And I noticed that a lot of people on Substack had made newsletters that had a lot of paying subscribers, but they weren't publishing much. I'd always thought oh, it would be cool to do a local thing. It'd be cool to do a quality thing funded by subscriptions. But the problem in my head had always been, how do you produce enough content for people to pay? And then once I saw people on Substack were like writing one or two stories a week and people were paying five bucks a month, I thought actually there could be an opportunity there to create a really high-quality local news uh, model that doesn't have to produce sort of 20 stories a day. And so you say it began in the pandemic. How did you go about getting it off the ground? I mean, was it a case of just trying to gain attention through the quality of your stories? It was good timing, actually, because in the pandemic, people really wanted to know local information. Like they really wanted to know what the latest data was in the pandemic. They wanted to know the infection rates. And I think there was also a sense that some of the media reporting could get a little bit sensationalist. And therefore, it took off really quickly. Like I think within a few months, we had about 5,000 people on the email list. So in a way, like it was bad timing to start a business. But on the other hand, to start a media business that gives people like good quality information, it almost perhaps worked to our advantage in that sense. And so the Manchester Mill is different to local newspapers. You know, there's no breaking news. There's no classifieds. Would you say it's a different way of covering the city? 
Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reinvent what city journalism feels like. I think that it's supposed to be local news, local journalism that doesn't feel like local news. It's supposed to feel more in-depth and more thoughtful and more nuanced. I don't think journalism should just be about giving people information. I think it should also be about inspiring people to feel better and to feel more connected to the places they live. So we try to do that and we try to like publish like an eclectic mix of journalism that will try and hit those different points. And you touched on it there, but you know, local journalism at its best can hold power to account, particularly local governments who are probably not you know, as much under the eye of the, of the national media. A lack of funded regional media obviously threatens this. How important is this aspect of journalism for you at The Mill? I think holding people to account is a big part of journalism. I don't think it's the only part. Like, I don't think it's the only thing we should be focusing on because, as I think I, I said before, I think there needs to be, like, some joy to it. I think there needs to be some upbeat stuff. There needs to be culture. There need to be, like, new ideas. But when we think about holding people to account, I think it's as much about holding business to account as it is local councils or local government. Yes, there are issues in local government that need to be exposed, incompetence and sometimes, like, low-level corruption. But there's also just a lot of businesses that get a lot of hype and who put out press releases that get sort of reproduced in these local outlets, but who don't get scrutiny. So I think a big focus for us has been scrutinizing where power really lies. And sometimes that's local government. So that's been like an interesting like learning for me. It's like identify in your city like where the power really lies and who's really exploiting the sort of attention economy that exists in a place like Manchester. And I guess looking at the business side of things, you know, the Mill has run special print editions, there's the Mill Members Club meetings, you have a podcast. How important is this other aspect of the business in, you know, cementing your place in the community, but also, I guess, in terms of running a modern media business? Yeah, I think the community aspect of media is massive because I think what a lot of media companies have done in the age of sort of like mass online scale and clickbait is they've lost their connection with readers. And I think if you want to redevelop that connection with readers, A, you have to make sure the journalism actually respects people's intelligence and their time. You can't be misleading people with headlines. You can't be writing about inane celebrity stuff that you just got off Instagram. But the second layer of it is you have to develop that connection you have with people. If they like your journalism, you have to meet them and talk to them and ask for their support and ask for their advice. I think we're closer to our readers than almost any other media company in the country because people come along and they talk to us. People get in our email inboxes about stuff. I've never had this level of sort of like interaction and engagement with readers that we have now. So I think it's a big part of it. I think a big part of media is community. It's not just about the stories. It's not just about giving people information. And in a city, you need that because you need people to tell you what's happening. You need sources to come out of the woodwork. I want to be the place where if people aren't getting paid by their employer or they're getting screwed over in some way that they come to us. And I think you can only have that if you've got like a community rather than just sort of an anonymous set of readers. Now, it's been covered quite a lot in the news recently that the mill has, you know, it's had a valuation. It's now received, you know, significant investment. Um, What's next? Yeah, so I think the first thing is we've raised money from some great people and we want to carry on doing what we're doing and just do a bit more of it and be a bit more ambitious. We want to go to a few different cities. Currently, the mill is in Manchester, then we've got the Post in Liverpool, we've got the Tribune in Sheffield. So we've got three publications that work together as a team, but we would like to go to a few more places. And there are journalists in those places who are getting in touch with me saying, hey, would you consider launching here? Would you consider launching here? So we've now got the cash to do that. We've got some 
I think some support and advice from some really good people in the media. So Mark Thompson, who used to run the New York Times and the BBC, now he runs CNN. He's one of our investors now. Dame Diane Coyle, who's a professor at Cambridge, who knows a lot about regional economics and the rebirth of cities. She's one of our investors. So I feel now we've got a team of advisors and helpers who will be really helpful. I think we're getting more media profile, you know, partly as a result of interviews like this. So I think the next stage is about taking what we've learned in these three cities and trying to kind of scale up the company. We've only got like two reporters per city plus some editors and freelancers. So I'd say we're very much a microcosm of what we could eventually be. As the company looks to the future, the bedrock of the success of the Manchester Mill is ultimately the quality of its journalism. In particular, it's the ability to find and tell the stories about the city that aren't being covered elsewhere. After all, it is this that people are willing to pay for. Here's the publication's senior editor, Sophie Atkinson. I'm really proud, even though it isn't my story, of Yoshi's reporting in Oldham on the internet personality slash conspiracy theorist Raja Mia, who has basically completely transformed the political landscape since he's been doing digital broadcasts there. I was really impressed by Molly Simpson's reporting on drink spiking in Manchester, which was cited as evidence in Parliament by a Labour MP who was campaigning for a law against drink spiking. So currently, if you want to prosecute a drink spiking, you have to use some sort of archaic 1800s law about poisoning. Then, of course, there's Jack Delhanty's work in the hospitality industry. He's covered hospitality workers who aren't being paid. He's also covered the bullying behaviour of Simon Martin, who is the head chef at Manor, which is currently Manchester's only restaurant with a Michelin star. It is not all serious stuff. There are also some fun stories on the mill. Notably, I thought that the, the deep dive into the viral fast food shop was a particular highlight. You know, it must be nice to also be able to showcase this other side to the city as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And Manchester is a city with a great sense of humour and a lot of very funny people. I think traditionally, local journalism has been a little bit po-faced, perhaps. And yeah, it's nice to do slightly sillier or wackier or maybe more niche stories that you wouldn't normally get a chance to pursue. Maybe just finally, in the UK, it's kind of, it's long been held the fact that, you know, if you want to build a career in journalism, you've probably got to move to London. How important is it to you and to, to the company that, there are now outlets in cities across the UK. And so, you know, people can work in their home cities or they don't have to go and just move to the capital. I think that's an essential part of our mission. As someone who's from Manchester and like very unhappily, um, very reluctantly uprooted themselves and moved to London, I don't want people who grow up here to have to keep doing that. And also it makes for quite a boring media landscape. I mean... Don't get me wrong, I think, you know, so many publications in London are doing the most amazing and excellent work. But I do sometimes think there's a little bit of a similarity in tone. And maybe that's just caused by being in a bit of an echo chamber. I think having journalism in as many places as possible is obviously only going to be an advantage for both the people who live there and for how stimulating the media scene is as a whole across the UK. With expansion on the horizon, it's an exciting time for the Manchester Mill and its sister titles. It's also an equally exciting time for the cities that they serve, from increased scrutiny on those in power to creating a more healthy and diverse media landscape. These publications are making a positive contribution to their cities. Perhaps most importantly, though, this reader-funded, community-based model 
is not just proving popular, but economically viable too. And when it comes to local journalism in the UK, that's not something that has been said for a very long time. For Monocle, I'm Charlie Filmercourt. Thank you, Charlie, and the Manchester Mail team as well. And this week, I've attended the annual District Press Congress, a gathering of professionals who work in print media publishing, production, marketing and distribution. The event took place in Seville. Among many panels, me and our editorial director, Tali Brulé, did a presentation with our favorite magazines and kiosks around the world. For the event, I did a few interviews for the stack, so you grasp a little bit of what's been discussed at District Press. I spoke with Stephen Randers, General Manager of Rularta Printing, Vibke Eberhard, Managing Director and Owner of TBI, and Marco Servilio from AIE. But first, I spoke to our very own Circulation and Brand Partnerships Director, Holly Anderson. Holly, we have a Spanish guitar in the background. We're celebrating almost an end to a beautiful district press. First of all, what are your thoughts this year? I know you're, you've been the busiest here uh, at district press. Tell us more or less what you do for Monaco and how do you feel district press went this year? Okay, so I am the Circulation and Brand Partnerships Director at Monocle. I've worked here for about six years, and this is probably my seventh Congress overall because I've worked in magazines for 12 years, right the way through from distribution. I worked with Market Force, and then I worked at Netaporte, and then came on to Monocle. And yeah, it's just a really great gathering of great minds, all of the distributors bringing energy and, you know, real positivity back into the industry. I think what we've seen over the past few years is quite incredible. You know, there's been a real bounce back, especially for the Monocle portfolio, but for international magazines in general. There's lots of new launches. There's lots happening in the market. It comes with its challenges, but I think everyone here is incredibly passionate about what they do, and it really comes through when you meet and when you greet these people that you haven't seen over the past year. And I want to mention, perhaps it's something almost secretive, but now, of course, our editorial director, he's also the president of District Press, and we organized some awards for perhaps distributors that represent Monaco very well. I was very surprised with South Africa, uh, incredible numbers from that country in terms of it's doing so well, actually, Monaco-wise, right? It's an incredible story. I mean, they started, you know, our 21st kind of ranked market in terms of global newsstand in 2021. And then now it's jumped right the way through from 2022. It went into our top 20. But as of now, I mean, it's number nine. Wow. That is a growth of 100, you know, over 100 percent year on year. It's a mix of a lot of things. Obviously, the airport's coming back, more fitful coming through the airports in Cape Town specifically, but also a real story of getting into new retailers, like looking for new opportunities. They do lots of merchandising within our portfolio as well, and they just have a real passion for what they do. I mean, that's kind of the common thread that goes through everything. But I do think South Africa, you know, she said to me when she won the award, her boss set her the challenge last year of winning a prestigious distributor award. And, uh, you know, she's gone and done it. And I think it's, it's great to see. And the reception's been amazing. 
And finally, what about the market we are at right now? Here, we're in Seville, in Spain. Spain has been quite an important market for Monaco uh, in recent years. And we have Daniel, who represents us here. What can you tell us about it, Spain? I mean, it's another incredible story. It's a market that we invest a lot of time and energy in from an advertising perspective, but also just from a pure sales driving perspective. We uh, look at expats, but also the locals are buying the product. So, I mean, in Spain, you know, we are up 50% year on year across the whole Monaco portfolio. Again, a really incredible positive story to be telling the industry, setting a benchmark for other territories. And I think it just comes down to real passion. You know, Seguel, our Spanish distributor who won, and especially Daniel Claris, he has a real passion for indie magazines. He has a real passion for not only, you know, the Monaco portfolio, but also looking at our books business and expanding the range that he offers, the types of titles, and really supporting the newsstand and supporting the retailers. My name is Steven Renders. I'm the general manager of Rorta Printing, a Belgium-based factory for printing of magazines and newspaper. It's a Belgium-based, but I'm having a look at your titles here. You do a lot of international magazines as yes. well. Can you give us a little taster? Well, we are uh, so printing our own magazines as we are part of the Rorta Media Group. We are printing 50% of our time our own titles and 50% of our time international titles. As you can see here, many from France, from UK, Germany, Holland and so on. Do you think Belgium has quite a strategic location, I presume, as well? That's why those countries, perhaps, they want to print with you guys. Yeah, exactly. We have a very central location, which means that you can print in Belgium and easily go to the countries around us, also to the UK, which is now easier and easier after Brexit. And we see that people are coming to us for that reason, exactly. How do you see the distribution for 2023 and ahead? I know there are a lot of challenges, but do you have any optimism to it? We love to hear some optimistic <laughs> words. We are very optimistic at Rorata. Proof of that is that we are investing again 6 million euros in our printing house this year, as we think that there's more consolidation coming up. And we think that as part of a big media group, we are very well positioned for the future to work with strong media houses to print their uh, products and bring them to the readers, because that's the most important thing at the end. And finally, diversity. I mean, we, you have a copy of Voici, uh, you know, of kind of a French yeah. kind of weekly, but then you have kind of fashion titles, biennials, it's, it's all sorts really, right? Yeah, it's very diversified. It goes from newsprints mm -hmm. to magazines, Perfect Bound or Stitch. It can be uh, lifestyle, it can be cooking, it can be houses, real estate, all kinds of things, which makes us unique because what is always important is that the quality matters. And for those magazines where the quality needs are high, then I think we are one of the best partners possible. I'm Wipke Eberhardt. Um, I'm managing director and owner of the company TWI in Germany. Explain more to us what TWI do, because I find it fascinating. You're an incredibly relevant part of the whole distribution system. So we are manufacturer of uh, logistic systems for the press distributors. We do uh, systems for the picking of magazines and newspapers and for the returns handling of magazines and newspapers. That's our main business, also for other companies around fast-moving consumer goods. And you're based in Germany, but you're incredibly international. I was looking at the maps where you're present. Quite, quite a big presence. Yeah, we are in around 26 countries all over the world. 
quite a lot of them in Europe, but also Russia, uh, Mexico, Australia, Great Britain, Hungary, uh, Lithuania, Cyprus, Italy, uh, so and so on. And Germany is quite a big market as well, per se, right? Even when it comes to magazines and newspapers, it's such a powerhouse. Yeah, yeah, it's still a, a quite big market. Yeah. Do you have a favorite magazine or newspaper? Something that you read quite often? I have to think about it. <laughs> um, easiest would be to say Monaco. Oh, thank you. My husband is a big fan of Monaco. My favorite would be a classical German title, Gala, so Women's Weekly, a bit of gossip. Yeah. We like a bit of gossip. My name is Marco Cerviglio and I'm uh, working for AIE, which stands for Agenzia Italiana di Esportazione, based in Milan, Italy. And Marco, I was having a look at the selection of magazines you guys help to distribute. It's quite a big selection, interesting titles from the Italian Vanity Fair to very high-end fashion titles like System. Tell us a bit more, what is the offer? How many titles, more or less, you have? Well, we have a wide range of magazines. Uh, we started in the uh, 70s, representing some Italian magazines be, uh, addressed to expatriates. Then we focused uh, on uh, magazines dealing with uh, the made in Italy. So basically, fashion, architecture, design and interior decoration. And uh, with the passing of time, uh, we have further developed uh, into representative of magazines dealing with lifestyle, uh, niche titles. We started to uh, distribute not only Italian titles, but we have started to export magazines which come from uh, Australia, which come from Asia, which are based in France, like the Condé Nast France Portfolio, which come from US, like 66 magazines which come from uh, the UK, like uh, System Magazine. And uh, we do reach either uh, wholesalers in the different countries. We have started opening direct accounts with some uh, retailers. And it's funny because uh, some of the retailers we work with uh, do get copies from wholesalers, but uh, they are not happy with uh, the fact that wholesalers do not supply additional orders. And so they maybe start ordering to wholesalers and then when they need more copies, they come to us directly. And uh, we have uh, some cases with a few bookstores in uh, New York where they sell hundreds of magazines which are supplied by 51 time, 30 second time, 40, 70. And so it's, uh, it's quite interesting and it's quite amazing. And we are happy because uh, we have basically no returns on this and publishers are very happy amazing one magazine i saw you you also kind of distribute is sd magazine the fashion kind of catalogs and is it sd it, right yeah, it's, it's amazing yeah, yeah it's show details uh, show this details, magazine yeah. was released first uh, around 2006 2007 and it was uh, the first time that uh, there was a magazine for professionals uh, mainly uh, dealing with accessories. SD stands for Show Details, which is the name of the publisher. And at that time, it was a completely new concept of a magazine because uh, there were many titles uh, dealing with runways or catwalks, uh, but not focusing on details. So it was extremely well uh, appreciated in the market and the publisher needed to do the reprint of the first issue number. 
and that was the show details Milano, New York. After that, the publisher came out with the um, Paris, London. No, it was Paris, then London, and then uh, accessories, men. But this lasted uh, a few years, and then with the uh, approaching and developing of internet, uh, all these were basically decreased uh, tremendously in some way. Thank you all and see you at next year's DistroPress Congress in Budapest. And now we stay in Spain to speak with Patricio Binaghi from Paripé Books, an independent publisher based in Madrid and Buenos Aires. They also publish a beautiful literary publication named Bibliotech. Their second issue is all about the hidden and forbidden. Here is Patricio with more. Bibliotech is a magazine about the world of books, archives and libraries, but in a contemporary view. And issue two, we have called the hidden and forbidden. Two terms we were uh, interested in addressing in these times of visibility and cancellation. I mean, it's a topic that everybody's talking about, and you work with books. I mean, it needed to be this topic for issue two, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and the idea was to revisit themes and movements that were once underground and then became visible, such as uh, the gay or the feminist movements. We have uh, sought to highlight in this issue some of the people who were active in those movements. The issue also focuses in, on some artists who we think did not gain full visibility in spite of the importance of their work. Yes, the Brazilian, like you. I love <laughs> that story, Kac. by the way. <laughs> yes, Eduardo Cac or Schul Solar. No? Schul Solar was an Argentine mystical artist very close to Jorge Luis Borges and the Argentine literary avant-garde. This issue contained two stories about cancellation and censorship, now very actually, in two articles. One of film censorship in Franco Spain and the other on the woman from the Destape at the end of the 70s here in Spain too. And Bibliotheque, I think, is a magazine that proposed a current analysis of problems of the past. Oh, that's amazing. You mentioned the story with Kak, the Brazilian director. I mean, what a fun story, great imagery. I mean, quite vanguardist in a way. I mean, it's it's about Brazilian porn in the 80s, but it, it's fascinating, the story. I, I, even I didn't know, actually. Yes, um, Eduardo Kak and the porno, o movimiento de Duarte porno, uh, is uh, about, you know, that at the end from the 70s uh, in the Brazilian dictatorship uh, opened the erotic war to the people. I'm That's glad, I'm glad it did. Yes. <laughs> That's the reason that uh, Eduardo Kak and the other artists say, okay, erotic is the view from the government. We propose porno. And that's the answer, no? Oh, I love that. And of course, Bibliotech issue 2 is out now, and I know you have 
quite a lot of selling points worldwide, but you are in a way working on issue three. I think you, you should always look ahead, right? Yeah. Can you reveal anything to us? Yes, well, a little bit, <laughs> not too much. <laughs> Together with Paula Lombardi, Paula Lombardi is the co-editor of Bibliotech. We are currently preparing the third issue of Bibliotech. We also be thematic and revolve around the serendipity in the world of books and libraries and archives. But the last week I was thinking why serendipity and why I'm getting thematic and conceptual when I was always against that. <laughs> I had the concept war. <laughs> I can't rebel it anymore. Thank you very much, Patricio. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpnmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, you can listen to the show again on monaco.com or subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you, from Manchester, actually. It's A Guy Called Gerald with Voodoo Ray. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. <laughs>